Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Sandra Tarantino received a Bachelor of Fine Arts through the Ontario College of Art and Design in Drawing and Painting. She also received a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology at York University and a Bachelor of Education at Western University. She has actively participated in the artistic community as co-founder and director of C1 Artspace from 2004 to 2011 and AWOL Gallery and Studios. In addition, she's continued to be a part of the AWOL Collective to the present day. She has recently opened a new art gallery and ceramic studio, Art Porters Gallery, in Toronto, where she creates, exhibits, teaches, and showcases other Canadian artists with her life partner, artist Ross Bonifanti, and her father, Marcello Tarantino. Sandra's personal art practice incorporates elements of both painting and sculpture through ceramic sculptures, shaped canvases, and other mixed media work. Her pieces are held in both private and corporate collections across Canada, the U.S., and Europe. She exhibits her work at art fairs, including the Artist Project and the Toronto Outdoor Art Fair, as well as with Art Interiors and Blue Crow Gallery. A large portion of her life work also revolves around teaching students of all ages in a variety of media, including mural creation, mixed media painting, and ceramic sculpture. This fuels her personal creative practice and explorations. She teaches at Art Quarters Gallery, Avenue Road Art Schools, and throughout the greater Toronto area communities and schools with art organizations, including Vibe Arts and Art Access Fund. She is a past recipient of the Ontario Arts Council Visual Arts Grant, Exhibition Assistance Grant, and Artist in the Communities Grant. Please help me welcome Sandra Tarantino to the podcast. Morning, Sandra. How are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm good. I'm so glad you're here today. And I know this is a very busy time of year for you. It is. It's a little bit, but it's exciting. It's exciting that we're back in person in shows, getting to interact with art enthusiasts. So it's a great time of year. Well, we will definitely talk about some of the projects you have going on in a little bit, but I thought it would be interesting for us to start with your training. You started at Ontario College of Art and Design. And you had a really interesting experience, which I think is a big part of your story, is going to Florence. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I went to OCAD going into third year. I'd been taking psychology at York University prior. Really loved the program, but I knew that I needed to go into the arts. So I transferred to OCAD, and one of the main draws was being able to go and live in Florence for the year. I am of Italian background, so I have family there, but it was just an incredible experience to be in a city so old and surrounded by so much history, which just came at you in all, in all spaces that you were in. And it was incredible. I mean, we got to go and see the biggest art history 
personalities and, and going in little caves with or little rooms in churches and seeing graffiti drawings by Michelangelo when he was in hiding from the popes and like just learning all these amazing stories. What was really, I think, a fundamental part of my art career was getting to be with other artists and become so tight-knit that we literally became family. I eventually married one of the people who was also in the program that year. And together with seven other artists, six of whom were in the Florence program, we started a collective, an art collective, and opened up a space on Ossington and Queen in Toronto back in 1998-99. And that was called AWOL Gallery and Studios. And we had about 13 studio spaces. And, you know, I think at one time, it's interesting how people who had gone through the program connected with each other and found each other out. We think we had maybe about four or five generations of Florence, past Florence OCAD students in the space at one time. It was really wonderful. We had about 3,000 square feet of studio spaces and then a little gallery where we showed monthly exhibits and held projects that we curated ourselves. It was a really wonderful creative bubble where we could interact, engage, discuss, get critiques on our work and support each other through having different people working on and using our strengths in different ways for developing projects. So somebody might be really great at organizing press releases while another person was really great (laughs) at creating flyers and the graphics. And so it was really great because everyone pulled together and used their strengths. And I think the space went on for about 15 years and the collective, we still are producing shows and exhibits together. It's exciting to have these really strong, close, tight friendships that are literally like family to each other. So, yeah. So I have a couple of questions. So for Florence, when you were there, was it primarily focused on art creation or the history or was it sort of a little bit of the both together? It was definitely both. For those of you who did go, there was a, a wonderful professor, Peter Purcell, and he was just a character. He was amazing. And he brought the history alive. So we would go out on weekly excursions and see the art in person, experience spaces in person and travel to different places as well. And then for the rest of the time, we had our studio space. We had two instructors from OCAD over the course of the year that came at different times. And it was literally us developing our short thesis show and developing a body of work and learning how to put together a nice, consistent grouping of pieces. So that was great. Yeah, being able to have key in studio and just go in there and be there all hours, day and night, and just create. So, yeah. So six years ago, I got to spend a couple of days in Florence. So I can't imagine a year. It would be fabulous. I mean, the couple of days I was there, it was amazing. And I definitely wanted to stay. And everything, the culture, the food, the art, like you get immersed in it. So a full year. Oh, yeah. It was hard to come back. It took us a a while to get reoriented to being back in Toronto for sure. And it's an amazing city. And a lot of it is hidden behind these walls. It's, It's really, really great. So when you have somebody that knows the little pockets and secrets of the city and was able to bring us to specific places, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be incredible. And it's amazing that you came back with a group of people that then became your collective peers. I was well aware of AWOL and you for a number of years did the square foot project. So that's how I came 
acquainted with AWOL, but talk a little bit about that community and how that developed you as an artist. We were able to kind of build on different ideas. So prior to the Square Foot Show, the Square Foot Show came about because you know, we were trying to fundraise to do our projects and to hold our studio and to give exposure to artists. So that was really wonderful. I think that there's many spaces that have taken on that kind of thematic show still, which was really exciting. I think at one point in the biggest show, oh my goodness, we had probably over 1,500 pieces that were coming to us internationally. And it would take over our entire summer, literally, for years. We were running it for about a decade prior to that. And it was great because the premise was that everyone was going to be on equal playing ground, on equal level in terms of pricing. And we made it affordable for people to come in and collect pieces of work. And just through the pool and network of artists that we knew and got to know through that show, that was incredible. It was a great networking event. But, you know, we held some pretty big shows prior to that. We would rent a warehouse and have a thematic show of 50 artists in a warehouse that we used a couple of times that was a Dufferin and Queen. Uh, it was a really rundown space. There was birds flying in there <laughs> at the same time. Like it was an interesting space, but we would clean it up and be building walls ourselves and have these huge events. And I think it's it was an easier time to do that kind of thing than it is now. And just, you know, that DIY kind of movement was really big at the time. When we graduated, I think that goal of being an exhibiting artist as a career was harder. And there was a lot of established galleries and trying to get into a gallery was really challenging. I think our graduating year, someone spoke to the very small percentage of people that would still be making art 20 years later. And here we are 20 years later, we're still making art, which is, which says a lot. And I think that at one point, even talking to a fellow artist who's now at OCAD and seeing them work as an educator, they were kind of looking at the statistics and just seeing how Florence itself allowed for that kind of bubble and networking to happen and deep rooting relationships that had a lot of artists come out of there that are still producing. So I think that that was definitely key. And I mean, the thematic shows kind of spurred some really interesting things and developed some stylistic changes in my work that I think then kind of really took off for me, just joined and amalgamated things that I was learning at OCAD, like learning how to build my own shapes and doing carpentry. And I initially started off my career doing a lot of shaped canvas work and building huge wall installations. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without that space and having that wood shop and having access. We would pool all of our tools together too. So that was a really amazing thing because everyone was able to create like a wood shop in the studio space and share that and share each other's experiences with things. So a couple of the collective members were amazing at that and helped out a lot. And yeah, I think just all of that networking was really key. And Ross and I even continued that further. I did get my teaching degree at one point in 2001. And I think because there were so many exciting things happening with AWOL, I, I didn't pursue that career in, in the school board kind of official position in that sense. And we ended up opening up a second space on Ossington called C1 Art Space. And I was able to do teaching through that space and, again, even learn further 
techniques in ceramics. I had no experience. I had a little experience, sorry, with taking ceramics before, but no experience on the technical side of like how to run a kiln or glazing and the chemistry behind that. So And screen printing, I learned through other artists in that space as well, because I would invite people. I'm like, do you want to come teach a workshop? And I would learn. And so my medium has changed just on a more practical level to ceramics now. And it was, again, a DIY kind of learn on your own or through peer interactions. And that's how I, I gained more skills in ceramics. It's really amazing what you're saying about you all collectively pooling things together. I think that's one of the things a lot of artists miss when they leave art school is you have this amazing resource of tools and equipment and studios, and then suddenly you're on your own and you have to shift from what you were creating in art school to what can I practically create on my own and what a great way to sort of come together as a group and fill in that void and actually keep it as a sustainable space for all of you. I didn't realize that part of it. I knew you worked together and did a lot, but that's incredible. Yeah, there was a lot that was behind the scenes. We did a lot and everyone definitely had their strengths and skill set. So I think that's what made it work for so long was just having all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I had a couple of thoughts while you were talking. One was you were talking about the accessibility of spaces like that and now how Toronto has changed a little bit. Do you think, and this is just a hypothetical, I'm not expecting you to absolutely know, but now that we've gone through a pandemic, will there be that need for artists to come back together as collectives and to create spaces? I think the pandemic, I mean, it's tricky, right? With just the the cost of living and the cost of spaces in Toronto, I don't know how accessible. I hope that the pandemic has allowed for more of that to happen with spaces closing. And that's unfortunate because there's it's always around time when businesses are shutting down or having to close down. I think that that really, I mean, the key for that is having somebody who's going to support that in a landlord for sure. And I don't know, I mean, just with how expensive the city's become, I hope that there is a niche for that still, that that can still happen. And it is happening. There are some spaces that artists are joining forces together, even close by to us now, that are finding the right space that they can do projects in. I think that there's also a bigger movement like the Akin projects now that is happening where you have more organized group that has the rental spaces that and offers support that is happening in that movement. And that's really wonderful because that's taking what we were doing on another level too and and much bigger. And I think for people coming out of school, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing is finding that support group is going to be key. So Akin, I mean, there's Propeller, interestingly enough, two mm-hmm. of the members of AWOL were founders of Propeller. My partner, Ross, was one of the people who he, I think he named, <laughs> that was the name of their first show was Propeller in, in terms of propelling careers, launching careers, and just seeing that that kind of format in terms of working collectively is still going shows that it's, it's something that does work, right? And that we yeah, need that need for it. Artists need yeah. that community. Yeah. It's really important. You yeah. mentioned a little bit about doing shaped canvases. So maybe you can yeah. talk a little bit more detail about what your work was like with the shaped canvases and how you transitioned into ceramics. Yes. So I was mentioning I'd gone to, I'd taken psychology and art at 
York University prior and did environmental psychology, which I thought was fascinating. And you're observing how people engage and interact. And it's that curiosity that I really loved and how space really can change and manipulate how people interact with each other. I think that kind of planning is important in a city to make people come together. I found it fascinating and I would literally sit in spaces and document. I don't know how that's a bit of creepy, <laughs> but I guess what I did, I would document and kind of catch these instances. Where observation. All right. It's like my research and I would have my camera going on taking like 10 shots. I would just like try and just capture these like little moments where two people would bump in together and, you know, apologize or look at each other for a moment or just those glances of people watching. Like I find it really fascinating or just sitting sitting down or family enjoying time together on a leisure day. So it was just a lot of that work was people watching really in terms of the subject matter because I was painting very, very small figures that would be moving over shaped canvases. And my shapes was something that developed from being at OCAD because I think we had an assignment where we had to not have a square canvas or a rectangular shaped canvas and kind of change the shape of that and go forward. And I started building outwards and building with skeletons, kind of like canoes is what I want to describe, like when you're building the skeleton framework. And I found a bendable plywood that I would cut into pieces. And I grew up in a tailor shop with my dad. My dad is a tailor shop and they'd bespoke tailoring and cut all the templates. And I'd have all my, I would create these templates that I would use over and over for my shapes and they would hang on the walls. So it's kind of all of these different influences coming together. I loved how the shapes would transform a space and how a person engaging with the work would change depending on which angle you came from. So I'd have these little figures walking around these abstract forms, poking in and out and wrapping around and going down into a bend on the side or something. Yeah, and it was very time consuming. I needed a lot of storage on the practical side of things. It took a bit. I'd, we'd have to rent trucks every time I had a show because I'd have to transport all these pieces. People really engaged with it. But I think I, when we ended up moving and having kids, I actually took a break from making art for a while for that. And then when I got back into it, I think all of the ceramics, my love of ceramics, it was a need. It was definitely something that I wanted to do for a long time. I was mm-hmm. itching to get back into clay. And I think there's been a revival of appreciation for ceramics in recent years. And it was exciting to kind of start playing around with creating shaped forms in a similar way with wall installations. Can you talk a little bit about being a mother and an artist? Because I know I've talked to a couple of artists and they've Mm -hmm. talked about that's not an easy process. I mean, obviously you have a responsibility. How do you balance that? And if you took that break, like... I know for myself, I get very restless when I'm not creating. So to consciously take a break, how did that affect your thought process and what you create? I think the break came for many reasons, though. It wasn't just for becoming a mother. I think we were working at a very hectic pace. We were involved in multiple businesses. I was teaching extensively in a lot of outreach programming with different community organizations, which is something else that I absolutely love doing. And that took over for a while and trying to keep up that all of those things simultaneously, I think, took its toll. Mm -hmm. So we kind of started to slow down on that. And that's actually when I was got pregnant. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that was part of the, the reason that which allowed for all of that was just saying, okay, we need to stop for a little bit because I'm exhausted. Yeah, there was a little bit of a crash there. So I think even as an artist, you're always trying to keep up. I think at the time with the shaped canvases I had had, I was with a gallery, I was represented for a while too. And there was that new dynamic of expectation there as well. So you're creating for different reasons. It's a little bit, you're creating because you need to support yourself. You're creating for, there's that balance of like, you know, are you, are you creating for yourself? Or are you creating for potential buyers, what they want to see? Or that kind of came into play with it as well for a little bit. And so I need to just step back from that. Anyways, yeah. So there's a few things that were happening simultaneously. And I think the break was good and just kind of changing gears and having a child. And then two, they came back to back. <laughs> Very surprisingly, not expectedly, but I mean, I was back at work six months later doing classes here and there. So I didn't totally stop. I had that opportunity where I had really great support system in my family that helped me with the kids to allow me to go and just paint with people for three hours. So always stayed connected to making for sure. And being connected, I was teaching with Avenue Road Art School and still do online and just being able to use the facilities for developing other ideas. A lot of the ceramic works that I'm doing right now came from some of the themes and styles that I was incorporating in my painting, but also some of the exploration that I did with my adult student class, which was a lot of fun because it would be like, well, let's see what we can do here. We got clay. Let's figure this out. Let's play. And I think that that's what you want, that excitement. And I, I love doing that. I love exploring materials. How can we figure this out? So it, it kind of all merged into something else. And it's been great. I mean, getting, I, I know that it's been connect with the work in a really lovely way. I've been sculpting birds a lot, which hold a lot of symbolism for me in that kind of release, that sense of freedom and flight and taking off and a lot of themes. There's some figurative work, a lot of themes of women's role in the art world and in life and incorporating that female was important at a given time. So the birds also are symbolic of women, of the women's movement and women's rights kind of coming across in a new way and more profound in recent years. And I think that it also dealt with themes of nesting at home with my two kids, for sure. Finding that balance. How do I find that balance? Oh my goodness. I wake up and work <laughs> all hours of the night. <laughs> I think my quiet time starts at probably like most days, four or five in the morning. And I, I get that time in for myself and uh, it's really peaceful I have my studio in my attic at home so I can just like go up in my PJs if I need it too and you need that kind of flexibility and I just create and it just sets the tone for me for the day and then we start our day with the kids so. And do you create daily? Is that part of your ritual um, or is it just? Both times yeah I've been mostly creating daily over time yeah or try to at least yeah I really enjoy it. I think that if I'm not doing it and they're moments in time where it gets really busy and I, I can't get to it. I definitely feel the difference for me. It just kind of grounds me, 
to have that time for myself. And yeah, and I feel like I can be more present for other kids and other people when I have that time for myself first. So, Mm -hmm. and with my kids, obviously, right? It's great. I've been teaching more and more now as well. So it's definitely starting to pick up the pace again in terms of how busy it's been getting. Strangely, the pandemic at first, you know, everything stopped. And I got really nervous. <laughs> I was and like, oh no, I'm self-employed. Yeah, I'm like, I'm self-employed. How do we go about this now? And I think my partner Ross and I both grew up in parents who had small businesses. And we always had that entrepreneurial sense from a very young age and, and seeing the day-to-day and how it's run. We started a new project together with my father, who's been a huge supporter and enthusiast of the arts. And so we reopened a space with a clay studio so I can keep on creating and teaching classes here now. It's called Art Quarters Gallery and it's just on St. Clair West. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been going. We've opened in June and just building up again that sense of community that we had on Ossington at C1. So We have drop-in clay programs for adults and for kids. There's after-school programs. So it's it's been really nice coming back to actually my community that I grew up in as a child. My parents are still in the St. Clair West village of the city. So they've been here for, oh my goodness, getting close on getting close to 50 years. (laughs) Yeah. So it's nice to come back here and see what a dynamic community and neighborhood it is now. It's very mixed ethnicity wise, but yeah, it's really lovely. You mentioned your ceramic works and I connected with you through the one of a kind. And I know you have the one of a kind coming up and you also have the artist project. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what it's like to be part of those kind of initiatives where you're selling to the public, but you're also getting to engage with the public, but in a formal setting. Yeah. I mean, I think that we built our career doing shows like this Mm -hmm. for sure and connecting to buyers and connecting to galleries through these shows. Like, I mean, the wonderful thing is that again, it's these organized exhibits and fairs offer an opportunity for networking and connecting. We've done the Toronto Outdoor Art Show for many years. The Artist Project, we actually started it when it first opened. One of a kind is newer for me in terms of shows. And I think the work that I'm doing now allows for that kind of movement between a more gallery kind of focused work to a little bit something more accessible and more handmade craft. So it it kind of crosses over a little bit in both senses. I think it's just connecting to people is wonderful. Like, I mean, I get to meet amazing artists and learn about their paths. And I think it's really great. And again, it's like, it's, you're literally pooling together resources when all these artists are organized in a fair show like this. You're getting a lot more exposure than perhaps you would in a smaller gallery setting where I always think, you know, you're getting up to 20,000 people sometimes visit some of these shows. So it really just depends. You're going to get more people seeing your work and seeing what you are trying to relay through your process and imagery and in those settings. So I think it's been great. It's been great. That networking is huge. Yeah. The great part is by the time this comes out, you will be at the artist project. So yes. anybody listening can go down and see your work. Yeah. We'll definitely yeah. promote that. Great. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's a love. It's going to be at the Queen Elizabeth building this year from April 21st, to the 24th. And yeah, a lot of fantastic artists will be exhibiting. So great. It's exciting. It's nice. Yeah. You'll probably see me down there. <laughs> it's always good. I've been the last few years. So. Yeah, yeah. 
it's nice getting back. It's nice. yeah. I think this is the first show they're having since uh, they had to postpone. Yeah, for previous years, so it's it's exciting. It's a different time of year too. Normally, it was usually in February, so this will be a spring show, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, I thought we'd end off with a final five where I ask oh, you okay. quick <laughs> questions, but you, yeah. you've got this. <laughs> I know. Okay. So what's the best advice you've ever been given as an artist? I think that somebody said, you know, you have to just make for you because your career will have kind of up and downs. It's not always a straight path and a singular path in your career. So it's just kind of keep on going, keep it steadfast. And I think that that's been key. And I think for me, just kind of maintaining a really strong work ethic, I think pans out in the end. Keep at it is probably a really great advice I can give to people. If you want it, you got to keep on doing it. <laughs> Consistency, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to kind of go for it in order to keep it. You can't just like let go for a little while. That's the only way they're going to be able to pay off long-term for sure. That makes sense. If you were invited to a dinner party, who is one artist, past or present, that you would love to be seated beside and why? You know, it's funny because I just did like one of those online courses with Christina Cordova, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal sculptor. And I think that her sensibility in terms of like, it's like she's creating drawings that come alive and through her figurative sculpture. She's very skilled. And I love the imagery and story that she tells through her work. I think just to pick her brain it's <laughs> and gain and skill and kind of like, how did you do that? I think I would definitely want to do that. But a lot of her themes come from her background and growing up. I grew up in an Italian family, religious Catholic, <laughs> kind of that questioning uh, in terms of her work and you know, bringing all that iconography and pushing boundaries on that I definitely would love to have a conversation with her about that for sure dinner party would be perfect now you can yeah. play <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> okay the next one is if you had one legacy piece that you could leave behind only one for a hundred years from now for people to look at is there a piece that you would choose from either your past or present collections huh I really think that there was something about my shaped canvases that captured a moment in time. It was like those, just capturing those little instances of people. And I did a big one that was all smaller pieces. That was like a wave, that installation. I think that was probably one of the ones that stand out to me as a legacy piece, because it just told the story of human, of, of like these moments capturing how they were dressing or these little interactions. I think that would speak of our times right what they were wearing cell phone calls right <laughs> technology and you're definitely I think as artists we're capturing moments in time and through our work and so that would be one of the pieces that would encapsulate that time that era 90s early 2000s for sure what's the worst piece of advice or a comment you've got that you're like this doesn't apply to me Oh, I think that artists get it all the time. I think that there's just not the, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> you know, oh, you're an artist and how do you make a living and all of that kind of stuff. And I've gotten both ends of the spectrum on that, like in terms of some people who go into high-end paying jobs and say, don't do it. Always go create your work. You'll be much happier in life which was great advice because <laughs> I stuck to it. But then there's other people who just don't understand. I find there's this stigma around the arts and being an artist that I find really frustrating. So you get this very ignorant comments all the time. 
I think. When we think about the arts, like, I mean, the art, if there wasn't the arts in our life, we wouldn't have the history. We wouldn't have the background knowledge of all of our cultures that are around the world. It's through the arts that that has been able to relate for centuries. And we have so much opportunity to learn from it. And that's why I love teaching and just bringing that appreciation and hoping that we can keep kids learning about the arts and not have it go down the drain. <laughs> That's totally. one of the first things that get knocked off of programming. Yeah. Could not you, agree more. Right? You can totally. learn so much. It's so important. So, yeah. yeah. And then what is one piece of wisdom, advice, or thought that you would give to an emerging artist who's just starting out? I think just from experience, network. Network with your people, find your people and work together. It's about community in terms of being able to build and continue forward because you will have your ups and downs. And if you've got a good support system, that's going to help you through it for the most part. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sandra. I know you're so busy getting ready for shows, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being able to talk with you today and share a little bit about what I do. (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.